You're listening to the Elevate Podcast, the official podcast of the Coastal LA Singles Ministry, where our focus is reaching up, reaching in, and reaching out. My name is Gabe Shepard, and I bring you greetings from the Singles Ministry in the Phoenix Church of Christ. And I've just got to say, California disciples know how to do a great conference. This has been a phenomenal time for us. There are a few of us here from Phoenix this time, but if I have anything to do with it next year, there will be a lot more of us here at this conference. Amen. I do want to get together with Chuka afterwards to, to learn those special moves that he was talking about. Just get that cleared up. I want to talk to you about Floyd Grosset. Floyd is, um, you know, as we know in the kingdom, we have brothers and sisters that we are close to, those that we are really close to, and then those who are really special to us. Floyd is becoming that for me. I'm 55 years old. I've heard a lot of preachers in my day, as I know many of you have. And all I can tell you is he's one of the best I've heard for me. I love the way he has such a passion for the singles ministry. And God appointed him at the conference in St. Louis to become the singles ministry leader for our churches worldwide. And we are privileged to have him speak to us today. I consider Floyd a friend. We're both in the Marines together. Um, Not together at the same time, but we both served. He has me do 25 push-ups after each D time. I don't know what that's all about. (laughs) Just kidding. But Floyd has a real passion and a conviction for the singles. I love to hear him every Sunday, every meeting, every D time, share his heart. And you're going to get a chance to hear him very soon. Let's all stand. We're going to sing one more song. And then Floyd's going to come and preach the word. Amen. I'm here. Good morning, everybody. I am excited to be here. It has been an incredible experience uh, thus far uh, to be able to be with you, to be able to greet you, to be able to get to know you guys, uh, to watch you worship, to watch you on the dance floor shaking your bacon last night in ways that we shouldn't probably talk about in Sunday church. But I'm excited to be able to come and speak uh, to the L.A. singles, San Diego singles, San Francisco singles, uh, Phoenix singles. I love singles ministry. I've been a disciple now for 25 years. And a month ago, I just had my 50th birthday. And what that birthday represents, of course, people say, well, you're getting old. What it represents for me is that I've actually been a Christian longer than I've not been a Christian in my life. And I find that very, very exciting. 
Of those 25 years, I've been leading singles ministry for about 21 of those years. I was converted in 1993 in the singles ministry in Philadelphia when there was no such thing as the singles ministry. Singles just got together. We had Bible talks. We went to happy hour on Fridays with together to reach out and we did great things for God. And this term of singles ministry didn't even exactly exist yet. But I can tell you that after 25 years, I am more fired up now than I've ever been. I'm more excited now about singles ministry than I've ever been. And I want to share a little bit of that with you today. But because we have this conference coming up, I do want to do some shameless plugging before we get into the Word of God. A couple of things. First of all, this is my awesome family. Uh, Is this working? Oh, that, okay, wait, let me go back. There we go. That's my awesome family. Uh, I think someone in the greeting greeted all the singles. I didn't feel greeted because I'm actually a married man. Don't hold that against me. I started in singles ministry, and I believe that I'll probably end up in the singles ministry, or my wife will at some point. Uh, but that's my wife, Tamara. She leads with me. She's my partner in crime. I love her dearly. She couldn't be with us uh, because they just had their Women's Day yesterday in Phoenix. Uh, and so uh, she needed to be there for the follow-up after that. And then my two sons, uh, Riley, who's 16 years old and studying the Bible, please pray for him. Uh, he's at the sin study and getting open. And uh, you know how that is. That's a, that gets, it gets you a little bit afraid when you start to put all that stuff out there. So please pray for him. And then my youngest son, uh, Miles, uh, is a football star in the making, uh, loves to be outside, and I really appreciate my family. Uh, this is us actually at Big Bear, Bre- uh, Big Bear Lake uh, last fall for the uh, fall retreat that you guys had. We went on down to the water and we took that picture. And so we really do appreciate uh, uh, California sort of pulling us in uh, to your family. Now, I just turned 50, so I, I do have problems sometimes remembering people's names. So don't hold that against me. Um, I'll probably remember your face, though, uh, till the day that I die. I'm very good at that. All right, shameless plugging. Okay, that's where I live. Arizona is a beautiful place. We have incredible sunsets um, uh, many times throughout the week. Uh, people say, well, you know, it's, it's the desert. I thought the same thing. Until I went out there and I fell in love with this place. And I, I, I believe that this is the place where I may die unless God has other plans for me. Let's talk a little bit about the conference, shall we? Uh, we are, I think someone mentioned that, you know, uh, we don't have to wait s- six months to be fired up, you know, for the conference to come. Well, that's true because the conference is just over four months. Okay, it is Labor Day weekend. It's not six months away. If you show up six months from now, we'll certainly greet you, but you won't be among the 3,000 that we're hoping to come uh, to that particular conference. Uh, a few things about it. Uh, it's going to be an incredibly uh, awesome facility. This is the convention center uh, that we're going to be holding the conference at, and uh, we're really excited. The rooms that you guys are going to be able to stay in are really top quality rooms. Uh, the Renaissance in particular uh, renovated their rooms. The Hyatt's in the middle of renovating their rooms. You'll go in and be blown away and feel like you're stealing something for $99 a night uh, for the hotel rooms. Uh, we've got, uh, that's where we'll be meeting uh, for our uh, main sessions. Uh, it's a fantastic, I don't know if we'll have that fancy screen. Matt Stone may be able to be, uh, give me a little gift or something like that to be able to get a screen like that. 
Uh, but a few other things, you know, our singles are really, really excited. They climbed Camelback Mountain, which is sort of in the middle of Phoenix. Uh, people are big into hiking in Phoenix, and they climb anything that is more than six feet high. Uh, don't know what that's all about. It's not my thing, but they love doing it. And so they went to the top of the mountain to take pictures, to be able to send out to the world to say, we're inspired to be able to host you. And we have over 20 countries that have signed up to come to this conference. All over the Caribbean, people have signed up. South America, as far as South Africa, from Zambia, from Nigeria. Uh, we even have... Uh, the American Idol, I'm sorry, the Indonesian Idol winner, a sister from Indonesia, from Jakarta, who's actually coming uh, to uh, the, our conference. And so it is amazing to see the response of the disciples, single disciples all around the world. They want to come and get inspired. They want to uh, be together with you. Now, I will say that uh, it is super important that you guys show up. The conference won't be the same without California being there. And, and if and if you come with the same zeal that I've witnessed over the past uh, day or so, our, our conference will be, as the young people say, off the chain or off the... I don't know what they say. <laughs> lit, lit. Is that what they say? Is lit? Is lit? It's on fire. I don't know what they say. I'm trying to relate to you. Uh, what you see there on the uh, right-hand side, some fancy water bottles. We thought, okay, you're coming in August. It's going to be hot. You're going to get some really nice stainless steel insulated water bottles that you're going to love. Inscribed with the conference logo on it. Uh, it's going to be an incredible time. And so, so, well, I'm intimidated by the heat. Well, let me tell you a few things. First thing is, is that we have really good air conditioning. The second thing is, you know, several years ago, the singles were all meeting downtown for midweek. And one of the things I really appreciate about some of our more mature sisters, you know, they didn't complain about the heat. What they decided to do is they made a pact with each other and they decided to leave work early and meet each other a certain place and help each other make it to the midweek and just take their time to be able to get there in spite of how hot it was. I'm talking women in their 50s, 60s, and even 70s. And this was the kind of commitment that really inspired the rest of the ministry. And a lot of great things have happened in Phoenix. Uh, just when people decide to show up, the possibility for great things arises. Uh, and so uh, we're also selling high-quality T-shirts. Uh, and so uh, where's Chuka? Chuka, you waited 16 years, brother. You were actually one of the first people to sign up for the conference. And so I'm going to give Chuka one of our high-quality T-shirts for free. Where is he? There you go, bro. There you go. Uh, you can actually go to our website and you can actually order those shirts right now and uh, they'll be delivered to you. There's probably going to be about a two-week turnaround time because this is not our sole focus. We just have uh, brothers and sisters that are the goodness of their heart going to be sending it to you. Shipping is included with the price. There you go. Let's jump right on in. Inspired to inspire. That passage you see there, Jeremiah 32:40, is going to be the theme scripture for our conference. And I thought this would be a good place to start. I have been reading the book of Jeremiah. I've actually finished it because I, 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 for my personal quiet times, I actually use the Read Scripture app. A little over a year ago, I realized that 
a lot of the reading that I was doing, I was in a rut, and I just felt like I'm studying the Bible to preach so often and teach so often, and I needed to just a different kind of thing in my own personal walk with God. And so I, I started using the, the, the Read Scripture app because I love their videos and, and I love the way they explain the Scriptures in a very simple way. But the book of Jeremiah struck me, and I want to read this passage here. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them, and I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. The book is a collection of poems and sermons that Jeremiah the prophet, you know, spoke to Judah in the, in their last years before they went into captivity. Now many are confused and even people get intimidated by this book because the first 24 chapters are just really challenging things. But if you keep reading the book, what you find is that God has a message of hope over and over again in the midst of him telling him, telling the people that you're going to experience the consequences of your sin if you don't repent. Interestingly, when they go into captivity, you know, the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel sees this vision of, you know, the throne of God. And what it really signifies is that even when they went into captivity, God came with them. He didn't just send them into captivity and turn his back on them. Now, this message of hope, God will allow us to experience the consequences of our inability to heed the warnings. But at the same time, he gives us hope. You know, much of it, when you read in this passage, is about what God will do. When you read this passage, he says, I will make an everlasting covenant. Speaking of God, I will never stop doing good to them. I will inspire them to fear me. You know, God works hard, incredibly hard, to draw his people towards him. We need to ask ourselves, in the midst of all the things that we go through, all the confusion that comes at us in life, what can God do? Where is God in all of this? And today I want to simply share a few lessons that I've learned over, uh, over the many years about these things of God. Lesson number one is God can inspire in spite of what I'm not. Now, this particular picture, before we get there, this is years ago. I used to be a mountain bike racer. And uh, sadly, uh, the brothers in Phoenix have taken this picture and now posted it up on the 55-plus ministry uh, that I turned 50, and I've become sort of their advertising banner. But one of the things about uh, mountain biking is, you know, you're out in the woods and you're traversing this really incredible terrain, And one of the simple things to learn, people say, well, how do you do that? One of the simple things is that wherever your eyes focus, that's where you go. And so uh, what I would often do is I would take my friends for the first time mountain biking, and I would tell them this, wherever your eyes would focus, that's where you'll go. And so whenever we come up to a challenging place in the trail, I would would remind them, focus on where you want to go. But sometimes... My friends would focus on the cliff over on the right. Or they'd focus on the thorns over on the left. And no one went over the cliff, but there are times when people went into the thorns. Because sometimes when you focus on the negative things, and it does something to you, it draws you into negativity. Point number one is God can inspire in spite of what I'm not. 
Romans chapter 4, verse 16 and 17. I love the book of Romans. Very, very theological in nature. Uh, and Paul is making his argument. And in the midst of the argument, he begins to talk about this idea that faith is so necessary. It's not our goodness. It's not our choices to be able to find ourselves. It's believing in God. And in verse 16, it says, Therefore the promise comes by faith, and speaking of Abraham, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have faith, the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being the things that were not. In other versions of the Bible, it says, God calls the things that were not as though they were. This idea of God can make something from nothing. You know, I, my, my dad is, is staying at my house. But he, we actually share the same birthday, March 27th. He came to surprise me for my 50th birthday. And my dad's a really good cook. And he's one of those guys who can, he can open up the refrigerator, look in, and there could be like some ketchup, you know, some, you know, some cheese and, you know, leftover things. He can just take all that out and make something out of what seemingly is nothing. Now you can do that in the, in the, in the, uh, in, in the kitchen. It's a whole nother thing to fix lives. That's hard. That's exceedingly hard. Now Abraham, when he was being called by God, was given, being given this incredible promise that he would have offspring. Even though his wife's womb, the Bible says, was as good as dead. And the Bible here says that God can give life to the dead. In fact, he can bring back from the dead and create life. Only God can do that. What's important for us to recognize in all of this is that no matter what you go through, are you dead? God can raise the dead. And if you're not dead yet, then whatever you're going through isn't hard for God. You know, I was baptized in 2003. And I was met by a, a sister walking around the street with my name and number in her pocket. She had not met me. I didn't know who she was. We were in the pizza shop of my apartment building. And I thought I knew her. I introduced myself to her. Um, and she sort of spurned me. I don't know what that was all about. And I, I sort of went to the window and I was a little, a little bit mad. Because at that time in my life, I was a little bit upset about women because I had broken up. I had a series of just bad relationships. This sister, thankfully, repented, turned around, and engaged with me in a conversation. And uh, it turns out we had the same friends on different sides of the circle. And she in, she invited, or she she asked me what my name was. I said my name is Floyd, and she said, "Well, I was going to call a Floyd today, a Floyd at the Philadelphia Business Journal." And I said, "Well, you would have been calling me." And her eyes lit up and. And, and so she decides to invite me to church, which I thought was strange. And you know, I told her, I said, yeah, I might come. She says, where do you live? I said, well, I live upstairs. And she says, what do you mean you live upstairs? I said, well, I live upstairs on the fifth floor of this apartment building. She says, I live upstairs on the fifth floor of this apartment building. And I just thought that was strange. She says, what apartment do you live in? She says, I say 518. And her eyes get even bigger. And she says, I live in 518. I'm just kidding. (laughs) 
Just kidding. She says, I live in 514. Now, 514 and 516 were one apartment. We were next door neighbors. My next door neighbor, whom I had never met, was walking on the streets of Philadelphia with my name and number in her pocket and invited me to church. There's more to the story, but I, I eventually did come to church and studied the Bible. And, uh, and after a month, I was baptized. I was enamored with the kingdom. And I was just so fired up about the fact that in a city uh, of Philadelphia, like, you know, Philly, the, the city of brotherly love, it ain't that. Black people are over here, white people are over here, the Russians are over there, the Latinos are over here. And the first time I came to church, be honest with you, I I saw the diversity in the church and I stood back and I just crossed my arms and I said, I'm waiting for the fight to break out. (laughs) Because you don't see it in Philadelphia, you can't have all those races together and there not be conflict. And I was so blown away by that and I was so enamored by the kingdom and I wanted to serve God. But in the succeeding years, you know, there are times when, when, when brothers told me, more mature brothers told me, bro, you lack the faith to be able to do great things. That in and of itself is not a bad thing. But then other brothers said in years later, you'll never be married because you're too moody. And I was. But how about this? Floyd, you can't lead in a place that's mostly white as a black man. In fact, there was a point in time when I was taken out of leadership because there were too many black people. As Gabe said, I I keep it real. We're going to talk about some things. Another brother said, Floyd, you'll be unlike, you're unlikely to become an evangelist because you never finished your college degree. You know, what would you do when this is what people prophesy about you? What do you do in those instances? What I did was I asked myself, is this true? And then I asked myself, is this true of God? Are these the limitations of God? Or are these the limitations of man? You know, I decided in those moments that I was going to obey what I made a commitment to obey that all scriptures God breathed and he's useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And I was convinced that if God called me to do something, he would teach me how to do it. He would train me how to do it. I just needed to be trainable. I needed to be teachable. Since then, I've seen incredible things through faith. I don't have time to tell you all the stories of specific things, specific prayers that God answered five minutes later. I'll tell you one. So as a single man, I was called to be in the campus ministry. I went on a mission team in 1994. And I was called to uh, be in the campus ministry. I wasn't leading. I was just helping out on campus. And I felt like in that first year, I'd quit my job, and I went, and I was sharing my faith like crazy, and I was even bringing people to church and studying the Bible with people, and I could not pay anyone to get into the waters of baptism. And it was discouraging. 
And I went into a bit of a tailspin spiritually, and, uh, and I almost fell away in 95, the following year. You know, brothers rallied around me, strengthened me, got me back up together, and I went back into the campus ministry. And in 1996, I remember walking on Carnegie Mellon University's campus. That's in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And I remember, uh, at that time, I was leading this Bible talk, and none of the brothers would show up. And I was, it was always me and the sisters. Can anybody relate to that? Hopefully not. Hopefully not. Hopefully we've repented. And I remember getting so frustrated. This went on for months. And I got the brothers all together in my apartment and I rebuked them all. I'm like, you guys are worthless, blah, blah, blah. Yada, yada, yada. I was young and I lacked wisdom and love. Don't do that. But I remember saying, God, you brought me here. You got to show me your, your glory. You got to show me yourself. I remember walking on that campus, and, and one night, it was around 9, 9, 9, 8.30, 9, 9.30 at night. And I was wrestling with being afraid, and I was wrestling with these things, and I said, God, help me. And I prayed this prayer. I said, God, the next person I meet will come to church this Sunday, will study with Bible with me on the spot, will take a month to become a Christian, will go into the full-time ministry, and will stay faithful forever. Got out of my prayer, and I saw a guy walking down the sidewalk, and I chickened out. I went and prayed again. God, help me. I was walking up the sidewalk, and I saw a guy coming out of the science building, and I went and I shared my faith with him. He said he'd come to church this Sunday. He gave me his number, and I turned and walked away. And I stopped. And I turned to him and I said, you have to study the Bible with me right now. And we went into the library and we studied the Bible for about 25 minutes. He came to church that Sunday, started studying the Bible that week, and within a month got baptized. That summer he fell away. I remember, I remember telling the, the group, I said, everyone needs to look for this brother. And a sister spotted him. She called me up. I immediately quit what I was doing, and I went and found him. And I said, what are you doing? You know what you studied. You know what you believe. Who has bewitched you? Because what had happened is he went back to Singapore, where he's from, and it's a very Buddhist culture, and he once, once surrounded by that culture, he lost his faith. He came back to church that Sunday. We, we strengthened him. He actually became, he replaced me. He became the campus minister for Carnegie Mellon. He went back to his country, served in the military, was put in the full-time ministry, and has been serving in the ministry since that time. In fact, he leads the singles in the Singapore church. His name is Pua He, and so I visited him a couple of years ago, and I said, man, it's great to see you. And I, I tell him, you are an answer to a prayer. I said, you got to stay faithful. <laughs> now, do you let people dictate your faith? Well, our leaders, they don't respect us, so what? I'm not saying... There needs to be disunity in the church. But our faith can be so determined and rise and fall on what people think about us. 
rather than what God thinks about us. We have to ask ourselves, is this true? Is this true of God? God can do great things through you in spite of what you're not. But we've got to focus on God. Lesson number two. God can inspire in spite of my doubts. In spite of my doubts. In Matthew 28, 16 through 20, of course, many of us have been around for a while. Our Bible's still open to this if we have paper Bibles. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When he saw him, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Many of us are familiar with this particular passage. I'm not going to do this long exegesis, but, you know, the Great Commission. What is incredible that included in it is this idea that some doubted. Some weren't on board. But here's the thing. They didn't keep Jesus from failing to speak and calling them to something. No matter how long we wait, we will never eliminate all doubt. But doubt doesn't have to be the death of us. These disciples, you know what they did? They went and they prayed. They obeyed what Jesus said. And so when you read in Acts chapter 2, they were ready. The Holy Spirit came down and, man, we're here because they obeyed and didn't remain in doubt. You know what happens to us? We doubt our character because we failed so many times. We doubt the advice because it burned us the last time. In a, in a sort of related way, what ends up happening is we hesitate because we don't have it all together. My life's not all together, so God can't possibly use me. As if you having it all together somehow increases God's power. Or you not having it all together diminishes God's power. You, let me tell you something, let me wake you up. You don't have that kind of power. I don't have that kind of power. And so we say, when I'll graduate, I'll serve. When you find me a co-leader, then I'll serve. When I get out of debt, then I'll serve. When I lose weight, then I'll serve. When I get the right job, then I'll serve. But here's what happens to us. We train train ourselves to respond in our own timing and not God's timing. And then we get confused about what God's timing is. And then we end up never getting to what God is calling us to. Doubt can become your guide. You know, you know, doubt and fear often are sort of partners together. And we need to ask ourselves, are we more influenced by our doubts and our fears than by our faith? Listen, we all have fears. We all have doubts. Now fear is, fear comes at you like a wise old friend. Hey, good to see you again, Steve. It's been a while. So you're about to step out on faith and go back into the ministry. I don't think you should. Do you remember what happened last time? Remember how it didn't work out? Remember how that brother labeled you? Do you remember? Steve says, 
Hey, that sounds reasonable. Thank you, fear. I was about to step out on faith, but you saved me. Thankfully, that's not what Steve did. But you get the point. Fear is like a wise old friend that makes things sound logical. It's got to be A plus B plus C, and then you'll have a nice D. It's not how God works. The Bible's filled with messed up people who didn't have it all together. And God still did great things through them. Here's the thing that we have to understand is that even when they resisted, God did not take no for an answer. See Moses, see Gideon, see Saul. There's so many people in the Bible where God, they try to resist God. God did not take no for an answer. We live in a day and age where it seems like God takes no from us. Why God's unchanging? We may not experience the consequences of our no to God right now, but we will in time. We've got to be willing to train ourselves to submit to God's perfect timing. We just need to keep believing. God can work in spite of your doubts. They obeyed. Now, a few weeks ago, so we've had a bit of a drought with baptizing men. And so, you know, we've had a lot of guys study the Bible, but none have become Christian this year, Christians this year. And there's this great guy. And we just started praying as family group leaders for all of our people. I'm praying for all the family group leaders on a daily basis. And we just said, you know what? We need to just be humble. We're sharing. We're doing all the kinds of things. We're just not being humble before God. We need to pray. So within days of starting that, that like this guy comes into church who had been studying the Bible, cooled off a little bit, and he didn't look quite right. And I went over to him and I said, hey, how are you doing all right? He said, no. We sat down and just tears just started pouring. I feel like Satan's attacking me. We ended up having a great talk. He started studying the Bible with the brothers. And within about a week and a half, he, he, he told him, he said, I'm, I'm ready to get baptized. And it was awesome. Like we, we, we baptized him probably about three weeks ago and the whole, like half the ministry showed up because they were just so fired up about seeing God move through prayer. You know, prayer helps you to be able to work through your doubts. That's how the disciples in Matthew 28 did it. You know, God can work and God can inspire in spite of my disappointments. We won't look at failures just for the sake of time. I'll send you the notes if you're interested in that. Now, in Luke 24, the road to Emmaus, of course, Jesus is resurrected. And he's coming and he, he sees these men talking and he, and he asks, you know, what are you talking about? And what they reply is they talk about Jesus and they, they say this key line in verse 21. We had hoped. Meaning, they had expectations that were unmet. They had expectations that were unrealized. Can you relate to that? The challenge is, is there's a great temptation to lead a life that's more influenced by your disappointments than by your faith. We come to church. We give our contribution. But we know that something is missing inside. We become the voice of reason. We have to be careful, though. The voice of reason can be the voice of negativity. It can hold back faith. You know, we can base our faith on seeing the victory. If only I had seen the victory, then I would have the faith. 
Jesus calls people, God calls people to act to see the victory. Now, when they're walking around, walking around Jericho, they're probably thinking it's crazy. Here we are with trumpets and jars. This is the crazy plan. But God still moved because of their obedience. Well, we have to be careful that our faith becomes more based on victory than just whom God is. I was appointed an evangelist back in 2004, and I was very greatly happy because my dream had come true. But then all hell broke loose. In 2005, my wife, she lost her dad. And this is on the, the heels of, she was working through some things emotionally. He's not a disciple. Emotionally, she sent a letter to him, didn't get a response, and then he died. 2006, I, I got out of the ministry because I, I realized I, I didn't have the faith. I was so brokenhearted from watching people leave the church, watching my friends leave the ministry and then leave God entirely. And I would show up at church on Sunday, but I had nothing to give. We got pregnant in 2006 and had a miscarriage. This is after having our first son. You know, people are like, oh, you know, it's, it's normal. A lot of people have that. Amen. Let's get back in the seat. Got pregnant again. About a year later, had another miscarriage. What is going on, God? That's, that's weird. Got pregnant a third time. Had a third miscarriage. That one broke me. I cried like I've not cried as an adult. In that time, I remember just really wrestling with God and realizing that, God, you are the author and creator of life. Whom am I to question you? You see, what I, what I had to go through is realizing that what disappointment reveals is a sense of entitlement that we have. Yeah. I didn't get what I think I, I deserved, and so what's God doing? Can he see how awesome a disciple I am? You know, I give my tithe, I blah, 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 I do this and I do that. Can't you see God and this little thing you withhold from me? And I had to wrestle through those. We came to a place where we just said, you know what? We're going to have to give glory to God. We got pregnant a fourth time. Had a fourth miscarriage. Gave glory to God. Got pregnant again. And we said, God, if we have this life for six weeks or 60 years, we'll be grateful. Because it's your life. And it's on loan to us. Our second son, Miles, was born. Ten days after he was born, he had to go into emergency surgery. He almost died. And I'll never forget sitting in the waiting room while he was in surgery. My wife and I were watching like Japanese cartoons or something. We were laughing and yucking it up. And it was a strange feeling because both of us were not nervous. We weren't afraid. We were just in a place of surrender. And God taught us that if I'm your great reward, you can go through the deepest, darkest trials and I'll take you through. 
Not kicking and screaming, but with calm and with peace. You know, when people come to church, they don't often know what they're looking for, but they need faith. What kind of faith do they see when they come into your fellowship? I'm not talking collectively, but from you. Do they see someone who's at peace, who has joy, even though you've been through some things? That's faithful living. That's faithful living. We can't focus on our disappointments. We've got to instead focus on what God can do. You know, we got to recognize the times. One of the things that I really want to talk about just here in, 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 in closing, you know, First Chronicles 12.32 talks about the men of Iskar, how they understood the times. And they knew what Israel should do. And each generation has to understand the times that they're in. Now, most major U.S. cities, their demographics are tilted towards single people. This is just the five major cities, urban areas, and these are the most conservative numbers. You can look at the top ten, and they're all mostly single. Yet, we have this challenge. Our family of churches are 70% married. Are we prepared for the social climate? Are we prepared to seek and save the lost? I'm not saying that married people can't convert single people. But when single people come in from the world, do they find singles filled with faith? People they can relate to. When we see someone like us, especially when we don't have faith, it just gives us hope. What we need is people with the heart of Timothy. I'll close by reading this passage. Philippians 2, verse 19 through 24. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I may also be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who shows genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know, Timothy, that he has proved himself because as a son with a father, he has served me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come. Timothy cared. Timothy was movable. Timothy trusted God. He trusted God enough to trust men to call him to something. Brothers and sisters, more so than ever before, the world needs vibrant singles ministry. It's not going to be based on our plans, our incredible worship, which we have that. It's going to be us putting aside our doubts, our disappointments, who people say we're not, to be able to see God more clearly and to believe that our God can overcome any of the challenges that we face. Amen? You've just listened to the Elevate Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit elevatecoastal.com.